In fact, Josh was just asking me, he goes, how are we cool enough to get you to come on the podcast with us? Like, what in the world did you say to him? I'm like, did he think? I, I feel like Josh thought I was maybe like, hey, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you a couple hundred bucks. We'll throw some women your way. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, no, I literally just, uh, I, I found you a while ago and a lot of your posts made a lot of sense for what myself and some of the other athletes on my team have been going through. So we're really honored that you would, one, take some time out of Mother's Day morning, but also two, that you would, uh, that you would join us because we are, we are a bit of a startup Cast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I love podcasts. This is like so fun. The Coaches Collaboration Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Pearson. Performance specialist with the complete athlete. This is Cole Warren. Certified USAPL club coach and owner of Salutum Health and Performance. Each week, Cole and Josh will take you through training techniques and tips, talk to athletes and fitness professionals to educate and motivate you for your fitness goals. Plus, you'll follow the journeys of Team Salutum Powerlifting and Get Complete Athletes. The Coaches Collaboration Podcast is brought to you by The Complete Athletes. Athlete providing world-class continuing education for fitness trainers, coaches, and gyms. Specializing in Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, barbell and hip classes, personal programming, specialty clinics, competitions, strength and conditioning. Get complete. Isn't it time to take your coaching to the next level? Using continuing education with research and evidence-based info and offering specialty services from a team of certified coaches online and on-site. It's time to get complete. The Complete Athlete, online at getcomplete.net. And now, the Coaches Collaboration Podcast. The first question I have is, what do you want us to call you? Yeah. You want us to call you oh, Dr. you can just call me Jake. Okay, All right, cool. All right, All right, Jake. I was going to call Don't you wanna... J-Dog, but it's J-Dog. cool. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, so fun, funny story. I walk into my first seminar of the year last year, and someone walked up to me and goes, you're at Dr. Jacob Hardy. Oh, I was my like, gosh. Yes. I, I actually go by the handle. I actually put the at before my name whenever that I That is my official, my official name. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, Jake. Title. Yeah, but yeah, Jake. Jake's cool, fine. cool. So tell us about yourself, Jake. So yeah, so I was uh, doing a little research about you, Jake. I was I was stalking you a little bit. I was I googled uh, your name and all that. So you're from Florida, right? Live in Florida. Originally, yeah. So I'm I'm from Florida right now. I'm originally from Texas. Okay, okay. And, and uh, but have my practice here in Florida now. Okay. So and did you do your undergrad in Texas? Is that what I remember reading? Yeah, so grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, went to the University of Texas at Austin, um, got my undergrad there in human biology, and okay. then came out to Florida and got my doctor of chiropractic. Awesome. And that's an interesting thing because I know a lot of – there's um, chiropractors – there's a lot of different paths that you can kind of take to get to that. Like I have friends that did – some athletic like an athletic training undergrad or you know some like exercise science stuff as well did uh um what made you when you were studying human biology make you want to go to the chiropractic route well so i was thinking i was going to be going more of the traditional medical route okay first uh first and foremost and then just kind of veered off that path probably two years, two and a half years into undergrad. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I went straight into undergrad from high school and I took a large load of classes in high school. I then finished my undergrad degree, my four-year degree in three and a half years. Wow. So I was just really kind of burnt out yeah. with school and yeah, man. Uh, didn't even, wasn't just kind of, it sent me off that path of like, man, I can't even envision what that next step is going to be. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was really a blessing in disguise, though, because it did kind of kick me off that path, but it gave me a lot of time to think, mm, too. Yeah. So I then, you know, 
fitness has always been a big thing for me. So I started looking at physical therapy, I started, you know, that kind of natural route that someone might go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I moved to Florida, cause my family moved out this way, I, uh, actually ended up being within like 30 minutes of the chiropractic mm-hmm. school that I ended up going to. So it was kind of just a, a good thing for me in that I was able to stay at home during school, save a bunch of money, which allowed me to then open practice right out of school. Um, so it was just kind of, you know, a good decision, uh, for me personally to kind of go that route with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I can relate to that too. Cause I, uh, my undergrad was initially in biomedical sciences and then like halfway through, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this thing anymore, man. Like <laughs> this is intense. So yeah, I could definitely relate to kind of having that coming to Jesus moment and being like, I don't know if I want to do this for the next eight years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I mean, Cairo was uh, a three and a half year commitment, but yep. you know, by that time, having some time off, I took almost a year off after I graduated undergrad mm-hmm. and just worked. Yeah, and you know, that really just got me kind of remotivated, mm-hmm. got me back into the swing of things, ready to take that on again. Um, but yeah, it just you know, I was glad that it's kind of sent me on that path. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your fitness life, your fitness career. How how did you get into what you're doing now? Um, so started out like, I think like most of us, you know, adolescent sport, you know, just multi-sport athlete Mm -hmm. playing basketball, baseball, tennis. Those were kind of my big three, uh, eventually focused a lot more in on baseball and tennis. And then when I went to college, I didn't really have that competitive environment anymore to work with, uh, which I think a lot of us kind of find ourselves in, but you know, along the way I had found the weight room mm. and absolutely loved that. It was like a, it was the thing that like me and my dad did yeah. over the summers. So like we had that community aspect of it all and that was kind of our bonding thing. So that really stuck with me and really started going to the gym more often in college. And so that then translated over to me competing in powerlifting um, in the USAPL once I graduated from chiropractic school. And that's kind of where I'm, where I've been, uh, recently, uh, took, uh, about a, a year, almost, I guess it's been about two years now since I competed last, okay. but going to try and hop back into a meet and get back on the platform here soon. Now that travel and life and work and everything is in a little bit better spot. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. I feel like a lot of people go through that too. They get done with high school. For me, it was, I got done with college athletics and then I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not ready to be done competing. Like I still right. like I still want that competitive environment. So that's what kind of brought me to the sport as well. So. Yeah, it gives you a reason right. to show up every day, right? Yeah, having that date on the calendar and you know having something to train for it, it just adds you know a little bit of um, just intensity spice. and a little yeah, of course, a little spice to your ginger snap. <laughs> yeah, you know I think I think it's also like we kind of crave structure as athletes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So you miss we that when it's not do- there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we don't necessarily do well with just, oh, what am I, I'm going to walk into the gym today and just do something. Yeah. Right. Let's, I, just, yeah. let's just randomly on the schedule. So you think about powerlifting. It's, you have a pretty regimented plan. Everything's mm-hmm. planned out for yes. six to eight weeks at a time. You have, you know, you're thinking block, phase, whatever, exactly. um, and all that. So it just kind of naturally seems to fit. Yeah, yes. for sure. So then the next question how have you taken, and we know the answer, but how have you taken chiropractic, your passion for fitness, and put it together? Talk to us about prehab. So 
Prehab 101 yes. is my company that I started uh, about a year and a half, two, two years ago now. And I mean, that it's it's really just a marketing term, honestly. It's just strength training mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes. But the I took it that way because as an athlete, I've always understood that exercise is the thing that creates the most long-term progress. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the current literature, that kind of, it would really agree with you there Mm -hmm. that, you know, exercise is going to be that best long-term option. So as a chiropractor, my scope of practice is pretty wide. It's basically the same scope of practice as a PT. So, you know, we can do exercise. It's not just adjusting and manual therapy and passive modalities and all that. So in our practice, like I've from day one wanted to really help out other people who wanted to stay active. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't in like we're not a strength conditioning facility by any means, but we treat a lot of like the active general population. So I call them my active gym pop. And so we have, you know, we have squat racks in the office and we had a full that platform awesome. in the office. Yeah. And, you know, like I don't know many chiropractic offices that you're going to walk into and it's like, Oh, there's the Ohio power bar. So (laughs) because a lot of my guys would walk in and they'd be like, yeah, so I'm having back pain. And I'd ask, all right, well, when? And like, well, only when I deadlift over 600. Like, (laughs) okay, well, I guess we got to load up 600 pounds and see what's going on there. And you can't, yeah, like, like, you know, we can't bust out the kettlebell for that. Right. So, um, we did that and, you know, we wanted to, and I was also training at the office too. Mm-hmm. So there was the selfish reason out of that, <laughs> right. uh, for having all the rope equipment, but I splurged a bit. Uh, but it was, um, if you know, if my always, my thought was originally was, Hey, if you got hurt under load, then lobe's probably going to be the thing you needed to get back to that. Right. So, you know, I've developed that thought process a lot more as I've gone along, but there's a lot of things we can do to get symptoms down, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you know, passive modalities don't get you stronger. Right. And if overload, too much guy. overload, this was is, the reason yeah, this that you is got so hurt, refreshing to right. hear. It's amazing. I just want you to know that these two, I sit with them all the time. They are geeking out so hardcore right now because you are beyond speaking their language and the looks on their faces when you said, listen, if you're having the pain when it's 600 pounds, let's put 600 pounds on the bar. They both just got amped up like they found out that, you know, someone bought him a case of Rockstar and was about to send him to their favorite concert. Like they just got super amped. Yeah, because most most of the chiropractors I've worked with met, they're the rack and crack type people. Where and it's all passive. Exactly. It's, yeah. Let me Ugh. let me put your spine in the right position and okay, and then go back. Kick you out the door and exactly. Say, yeah. But I, do I'm, whatever you're which, doing. Can we like can we speak on that for a second? Let's like, do, yeah, absolutely. If I, can, if I can provide enough Rent. force to realign your spine, what the hell is happening when you load up multiple right. hundreds of pounds on a bar and compress oh, yourself and, every day? Right. And Thank how you. weak is the human body? If someone could just crunch you or if you're you're having a muscle issue and a foam roller can fix you. Right. How weak are we? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But so I'm really glad that this is your approach, because, again, if if I went into some of the physical therapists, chiropractors in the area and said, when I'm doing a snatch over 220 pounds, you know, I I feel something in my shoulder. They're going to say, stop snatching. Right. Where I feel you're going to be the type that says well let me see it at 200 let's see it at 220 let's see if oh that's why you know your shoulders rotating the wrong way or you know something like that where you can see what the problem is where they're just guessing Mm -hmm. i I feel that that's kind of how you approach it yeah so 
And this is why I started teaching mm-hmm. is because obviously like just it's a different approach, mm-hmm. right? It's not an approach that's kind of traditional in the healthcare realm. I think that people in the strength conditioning realm really kind of understand this a bit more, mm-hmm. but maybe they don't feel as confident helping somebody uh, with a symptom because it's not within their scope of practice right, to do so. Right. But so like as healthcare providers, we need to be able to do this and we need to have this knowledge that like, yeah, it's like your shoulder hurts whenever you snatch 220. Well, what have you, what have you been doing recently mm-hmm. in your pro, like what's your programming look like first and foremost? Right. Because typically if you're snatching 220, you probably have fairly solid technique mm-hmm. to begin with, right? And it's probably not just that your shoulder's just rotating the wrong way. Right. It's probably that you had a training load error and you either were under recovered and everything's been an eight to nine out of 10 workout for the mm-hmm. last, you know, five, six, eight sessions. Right. Um, and you just haven't recovered from that or stress is built up or whatever, or, you know, you felt really good mm-hmm. for a few days, few, few sessions in a right. row, and you've just been spiking your training load right, up right. way more than your body was ready mm-hmm. for, even though you kind of felt good. And then it kind of caught up to you on the back end. Right. Yes. And again, I'm so glad to know that there are some people out there that actually take that into consideration. Pull, pull out your notebook if you have one, right? Yeah. And what is your program? And I, I would assume if, let's say, that athlete came to you and said, yeah, when I hit a 100 kilo snatch, it hurts. And you said, let me see your program and they don't have one. There's a huge red flag. Now, in that. Yeah, that's something we need to think about. Yeah. yeah. In that situation, do you provide some programming advice? Do you sit down with them and talk programming? Do you have coaches that you know, oh, go to this coach and they can help you? How do you deal with that if it's a programming issue? Um, a little bit of all of that. If the, you know, I have a good network of coaches that I can refer to mm-hmm. just from people I know. Everybody's you know coaching online now these days mm-hmm, too, right. so that makes it very easy to send somebody out um, to, get some, to get a good program if needed. Uh, you know, and that just depends on if they have the funds to afford that and whatever but let's if they just don't have something then we kind of just have to talk through it okay well give me a general idea Mm -hmm. of what you've been doing what does your frequency look like what does the general structure look like are you on a six day a week push pull leg are you on a two day you know two days a week four day a week upper lower Mm -hmm. um if we're talking weightlifting because i I was just working with a weightlifter the um maybe two days ago who was dealing with a bit of a hip impingement case then you know it's going to be a little bit more varied in the stressors right. it's not necessarily just a a set this is what i do on monday kind right, of thing right 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 so um like all right did you have a break recently and you mm-hmm. just came back which was kind of the case that i was just working with was well there was a 10 day vacation came mm-hmm. back and hit a heavy front squat right. and the hip wasn't too happy with that right. um but you know tr- we look back and well, training's been kind of sporadic mm. over the last maybe six months since nationals. So, okay, so training's been kind of sporadic for you. It hasn't been super structured the way it was. Then you took a vacation. Then you came back and you were kind of hitting some RPE nine stuff. Yes, that's probably not the best. That's probably right. not the best idea. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily need to see the exact numbers mm-hmm. to have a good idea that that's probably a training load error, and some simple education on. Right. Right. Okay, so. Let's get the pain under control. We're going to work everything out of the power position 
for a little bit. We're just going to avoid that position that kind of hurts, um, which is a huge thing for medical providers to understand is, right. hey, there's other stuff you can do to stay strong, right. but that does kind of avoid that position besides just, hey, don't snatch. Right. So if we, uh, we're going to work everything out of the power position, we then found some tolerable kind of hip flexion options. We found like the Bulgarian split squat was a good option that could be pushed into those strength ranges. Yes. Uh, we found a really narrow stance squat with the heels elevated was tolerable. So we're working there right now. And you know, then, so that was just kind of, let's get the symptoms down. Yes. But you know, that took us probably 15, 20 minutes mm -hmm. to do. We spent a half hour before that talking training load. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know, just the education process of, all right, so whenever we do start dosing in that hip flexion again, you know, everything's going to start around RPE six. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I don't want anything really hard in that position for a little bit. And we're, you know, we're going to go RPE six week one, we'll go RPE seven week two, RPE eight week three, and then we'll start dosing up volume on top of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, just kind of the general principles of, Hey, how would you treat somebody brand new to the gym? Yes. Right. right. True. Just giving them like making That's them aware. How would you treat somebody coming out of injury too. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just cause yeah. What talking through that stuff and just cause a lot of people, I mean, they just train and they don't really have necessarily a rhyme or reason or just don't have the education behind the programming mm -hmm. that they're doing. So they're just kind mm -hmm. of doing something and they don't know why they're doing it or they don't know how that could be affecting their body in whatever way it is right now. So just making them aware like, hey, you know, you said that you did this and that is why you're feeling this way. So then they kind of make that connection. They're like, oh, okay. So now they can make changes in the future, which is a huge tool to any athlete. Right. And I think it's awesome yeah. that you consider specificity as much as possible. How close can we get to, you know, the front squat, the snatch, whatever, without having to go on the couch for two weeks? Because yeah. you're not going to, get stronger or like you said, or re really recover if you're just on the couch, cause you're going to come back. And if being sporadic was the problem already, that's not helping at right. all. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I it's, it's such a breath of fresh air hearing this from, from a chiropractor, from just someone in the medical profession yeah. where, Hey, we need to be as specific as possible because you actually have some goals you need to obtain. It's very and nice to hear. That goes, I mean, I, I think that actually makes the rehab easier yeah. when you stay specific too. Uh, for example, if we know that, let's say that's not like a impingement sensitivity mm -hmm. and that you're really sensitive to a particular range of motion, but more so it's like a load sensitivity. Yeah. So I have some sort of patellar tendinopathy. It is getting flared up at a certain load on my back squat. Mm -hmm. I don't really need to come up with the five best patellar tendinopathy exercises. Right. You've told me what touches it. So if I do back squats, I am, because it hurts you, I'm guaranteed that I am loading the thing I need to load. Right. Mm. Right. Whether exactly. I know, whether I know what it is or not, mm -hmm. I, I am guaranteed it's touching that. Right. Um, so when I look at like a lot of my orthopedic tests I do for someone, I'm really thinking of them as pain provocation tests. And I'm just thinking about, okay, so what's the force vector here that we're using? What's the level of load that we're using mm -hmm. here? because there's probably an exercise that mimics that same force vector across the joint. So I can then, tr if something's provocative for them, I can probably then take an exercise, provoke it the same way, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then just dial in the right dosage for them in order to bring those symptoms back to a tolerable level, right. which is going to allow us to maintain some of our physical attributes, given that they can tolerate enough load, right. which 
if they can't, then we have to find some sort of pain-free or other tolerable option, right, right. right? That would allow them to do that. But it's going to allow us to at least touch that and possibly desensitize it and become more tolerable to it mm-hmm. so that we can then get back to those higher loads. Right. So if, so if my knee's hurting whenever I squat, let's say um, a normal squat training for me is going to be 300 pounds. Right now, my knee's so sensitive that um, I feel it whenever I'm squatting 250. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, 300s normal, 250. All right. If you can, we squat 245, something like that. We hit it for some higher rep ranges. That's probably still providing us a physical stimulus. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So why not just do that? Right. Yeah. Right. Like that, and then and then just gradually dose up. Mm-hmm. So the the exercise in and of itself is just kind of the vector to provide the load mm-hmm. or to provide yeah. the stress. It's how we dose the stress that's actually what we need to do. On the flip side, well, let's say it's so sensitive that I can only, I'm feeling it with the empty bar or right. I'm feeling it with 100 pounds. Well, now it's a different ball game mm-hmm. because it's probably not enough to just say, hey, let's do some higher reps with that and we'll get some sort of physical stimulus out of it. So in that case, this is where we might need to think, all right, let's add in some tempo work. Mm-hmm. Let's add in maybe change the range of motion to a box squat. Mm-hmm. Let's maybe try a lunge and see if we can tolerate something where we're going to be getting reaching failure in that, you know, eight to 12 range, six to 10 range, something, get that physical stimulus that we want. And then we can work with those low loads on that back squat, Mm -hmm. which is not going to be anywhere near fatigue for you. And we can do that pretty frequently Mm -hmm. because of the low fatigue and gradually improve your tolerance to it. Let's just add five pounds as you're able to. And eventually that back squat's going to be back to a stimulating level. We'll then switch out all some of the other stuff that we've been doing as an alternative back squat now becomes the rehab and we're getting everything, you know, transitioning back to normal training. I I think that is like the key to having prolonged a prolonged career because like a lot of people have issues with if they've been a powerlifter for a long period of time, they say, Oh, my joints hurt, whatnot. But if you like what you just explained, if you apply that to your training period, so like if you notice something that's like, Ooh, that's not really feeling right. And you do that top-down method that you kind of just explained right there. And before, because, I mean, the, all the old, I, I was exposed to powerlifting back when it was like multiply was really big and we had all these juiced up freaking cycles that were just like, go, 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 go. Um, but like, there's still some of that around and these, e- these egos play a huge part in, in the sport, period. Um, so guys just want to push through stuff. They want to be hardcore. They want to, you know, but if you are proactive with that, and that's one thing that, I think it takes a, a, a lot of maturity as an athlete to realize, okay, there's something obviously going on here and I can either address it so that it isn't, it doesn't become an issue or there's a lot of people that'll just push through it and say, F it, you know, I got to hit this number today. So right. I'm going to go balls to the wall anyway. Right. Um, that can definitely like, I mean, Hurt you more, or prolong sure. injuries, or well, yeah, create it takes injuries you out that, for six months now. Yeah, then, you're hurt. and and now that six months that you aren't getting stronger, exactly. and aren't training. And to piggyback off of that, from the athlete's perspective, if let's say they needed to back squat three hundred, and you have them down to two forty five, or let's say it's even two twenty five, but you have them squatting twice a week now instead of once, to the athlete, they're still at least doing their sport. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. If, if my pain tolerance goes back up, cool, I can go back to squatting once a week and I will get back to 300 where, sorry, go sit on the couch, just sucks. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you have this approach too. And worst case, we'll do box squats. 
Worst case yet, we'll do lunges. Worst case yet, fine. Maybe we'll pull in a machine or whatever. Right. But we will still be doing some type of squat-like mechanic. And I think from an athlete's perspective, that's huge. Well, and it gives them this, Absolutely. There's some output. Because yes. there's, that's the worst feeling when you're hurt and you feel like you're powerless and can't do anything. Right. So when you're able to actually still train or just go to the gym and like do something that's not only is it helping you physically but it's mentally a lot easier to deal with than if you're just like f it i can't do anything i'm not going to go to the gym and i think you touched and on that, that's a huge that's a huge point yeah. so you know i think we get i think we get this i don't think it's just i just not talked about nearly enough which is the psychological side of this whole thing the mental oh, side of it's all this so huge man you know if do I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Do we actually need to get stronger to get out of pain? Hmm. That's yeah. a big question yeah. that I think that we need to ask. And I don't think you do. Yeah. Right. No. I like pain is about sensitivity. Mm -hmm. For the for the grand majority of things, pain is about sensitivity. So if like you don't need to be more mobile to get out of pain. You don't need to be stronger to get out of pain. Now, you might need to be stronger to be able to tolerate the training that you actually want to be able to do to perform. Right. So there, there's that there's yeah, that like yes. distinguishing line in that. But for getting yourself out of pain, it's probably a lot more about what you don't do. It's mm -hmm. probably about just, hey, stop aggravating it over and over and over. Yes. Keep a positive mindset towards it. Don't catastrophize it and make it out to be worse than what it is. So a huge part of that, and this is working with anybody, not just athletes, is you got to make the rehab and the exercises that you're giving them meaningful to them. Yes, it needs to be. It needs to mean something to them. So if you have somebody who is used to really hard workouts, they're used to really pushing themselves, they're used to heavy weight on their back, and then you're giving them clamshells and crab walks with right. a hand around their and knees, and dead bugs, and like, yeah. How defeating does that feel yes. to that person, yeah. right? I feel like even the, the exercise, the exercise prescription there can promote a feeling of like a defeatist mentality yes. versus scaling down just as much as you need to scale and then saying, okay, here's something that you can do 20 reps, mm -hmm. but I want, and I want you to take it to 18. Yeah. Like, I don't care that it's 18 reps. I don't care that, like, I know it sucks. Yeah. But you need it to suck because that's what's going to be good for you. Right. Yeah. So you still feel like you're pushing yourself. You still feel like you're doing something. You're still in your community. So let's say yes, you're at some yeah. powerlifting gym or, or a CrossFit gym. Like, you're in your community. You're there working just as hard as everybody else is. You know, and you still, you feel like you're, you know, still a part of it all. Yes. So I, I, you don't feel like you've been taken away from your life as much. Mm -hmm. And so that, I don't know how much of a physical stimulus the rehab is really providing you. I don't know that getting you stronger is really having any effect on your pain in that case. Mm -hmm. But I think that what it's doing in the background in, in your brain is probably having a huge effect on those symptoms reducing and you pushing yourself back to normal. Yeah. Yes. So this, this really hits home for me because, mm -hmm. uh, I haven't, I'm a power lifter. I haven't done a meet in over a year now. And like over the past two years, I've just been like little aches and pains and I've been like in pain for like two years while I, like just while I'm training. And again, it was I mean, I was like one, I didn't want to get weaker. Right. And the pain wasn't to the point where like I couldn't perform the lifts until it got to the point where I couldn't perform the lifts. 
you know, and then so now I'm finally like this past three months, I've been like finally pain free. And I can't even like describe how invigorating it is just to be training pain free and not be worrying about something going wrong and having that in the back of your head at all times like, oh, something's going to freaking, you know, go wrong, pop or something's going to happen here. And so, and that was, that was one thing that I struggled with too, because like I had to sometimes force myself to go into the gym just for my mental health, just to like, Mm -hmm. cause the gym, not only, you know, is it, but it's my social hour too. You know, I get to see my friends, I get to hang out with people, I get to chat. Um, But being hurt, like you said, it kind of pulled you out of that. Cause you're like, well, I'm not really, I can't really do what everyone else is doing. I, I, I feel like I'm not a part of everything anymore. So when you can supplement things in there so where you can – because it, it seriously does affect you. Like I wouldn't say I was depressed, but there was definitely like I wasn't fired up about training anymore because right. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go in there and do stupid shit because right. I can't do anything. And when I'm training with these strong-ass people, it makes you feel kind of bad about yourself. But right. – so the what you just described is huge for for athletes and like you like we said I don't think it's talked about nearly enough is no. that mental approach um that that comes with injuries it's like cuz it can be debilitating to someone who especially if someone puts a lot of their identity into what they lift in the sport and all that stuff if that's taken away that can really affect somebody right yeah if you take if you really look at you know cuz we we've all dealt with pain like we've all dealt with our stuff that you know i would say like we all deal with our little aches and pains but we never consider ourselves injured yeah you know yeah you know and that's that's a huge piece is like you know at some point you start to label yourself as injured rather than labeling yourself as like healthy and capable exactly so if you can kind of maintain that label on yourself of capable and able that's huge but you know if we look at when we look at people that just deal with persistent pain and this certainly is not everyone but we see high levels of catastrophization. So they make the pain out to be worse than what it is. It's really taken away from their quality of life. They can't stop thinking about it. There's tends to be a fear of Mm re-injury. So they might be afraid to really push themselves. Um, Like you were saying, like it feels really good to just not be pain-free and not have to worry about it. it. Yeah. And I've just like, I've just been able to start to push myself and I feel like my old self again. And it's just like, I have this intensity when it comes to training and stuff that I haven't had in a long time. Right. So a big part of this um, is really just getting someone kind of bought into this process of, Hey, we under like you understand that you're injured. You understand that hey, you can't do everything that you used to be able to do. That's mm-hmm. that's the reality of the situation right now. But you are going to get back there. Right. You are going to be back at full speed again. Just because you know, remember whenever your elbow hurt you, you know, six months ago, you just kind of rested it up. You didn't really. You didn't really think about it. You just yep. worked around it. And then it kind of cleared itself out over time. Right. I know this is a bit of a bigger injury. And I know you're kind of walking around feeling a little crippled right now because it's so acute. But no one walks around in acute pain forever. This right. is going to get better. And then you're just going to need to ride this part out. And then we're going to slowly start working you back up mm-hmm. into normal training again. Believe me, I've been there because... I had a back and I hurt my back two years, two, two and a half years ago, um, on a max effort back squat. Mm-hmm. Just, 
I was super fatigued and like my, I had been, I'd probably been missing lifts for three, four weeks in okay. a row at that point. Um, and I was, you know, I was at like 97 and a half percent or something like right that. Up at that red line. Right up there. Yeah. And you know, I, I distinctly remember like I had this, like, I felt like a like really sore spot in the side of my hip, which is like a good indicator for me that like, you know, your back's feeling a little sensitive right now. Yeah, so yeah. a little beat up. And like I was in desperate need of a deload at that point. Right. But then go, I squat 395. And just the thing that happens every time I get that heavy, you know, we've all seen it. Knee shot back, hip shot up, yep. kind of good morning mm-hmm. it up. And it really was kind of that straw that broke the camel's back for me because I've done that same mechanic, uh, you know, a hundred times over and it's never hurt me before. It's just, but the cumulative stress of everything that was going on at that time point, you know, and then just being overly fatigued, I just felt it grab me right Right. in my back. And I I did not walk for like three days. I was just laid up on the couch and it happened to be on the same weekend as, as raw nationals. So of of course course. I'm sitting there watching all these people crush weights, watching all my friends at (laughs) raw nationals on YouTube. And I'm sitting here like laid up on the couch. I can barely walk over to my kitchen to make a sandwich. I couldn't squat if there was a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not at all. Like I'm literally on like trying to like get down to the ground to like just move my back a little bit and do some cat cows or something thing but you know like i've been through that and i know like that sucks because i remember you know my pain i got back into gym probably a a week afterwards i was squatting an empty bar for a week and i actually kind of like an every minute on the minute Mm -hmm. um for 10 minutes straight and i would just add five pounds a day yeah and i did it every single day and like six weeks in i squatted 365 yeah you go you know now I didn't necessarily feel wonderful and I was, I did kind of detrain a bit through that, but you know, I didn't feel necessarily like my full normal self for probably a year. Yeah. Like I could do it, but I didn't feel like my full normal self, but you know, I had to, I just worked through it and it's like, hey, okay, there's gonna be days that are more sensitive. There's going to be days that I feel better. This is just kind of part of that process. Whenever, you know, maybe you had a little bit of an injury, it's, it's all good. And you're just going to keep dialing it up. Now, here I am two years, two and a half years removed from that. And I feel like I'm about to surpass those numbers. And I haven't felt a backache in like six months. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like it. you just have to keep kind of gradually working at it. And you have to figure out like, okay, this isn't working for me right now. But this over here does. So we're going to work with that. And we're just going to keep providing the stimulus to the body. And you never really let yourself just detract from everything that you enjoy. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, I think too, I think you posted about this recently too, but um, especially in the sport of powerlifting, when there's no, like you can powerlift till the day you die. So patience is a huge key. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing, cause um, I'm 23 years old, I'm young. Um, and I've been basically up to last year, all my training went absolutely wonderful, right? I'm making gains, you know, every single block. Um, I basically, you know, newbie gains and I hadn't gotten injured. I'm like, this is awesome, man. I'm going to be able to do this forever. Um, But then, I mean, kind of reality slaps you in the face. But biggest thing is, is like, you have time. We have nothing but time. So when, and like, yeah, maybe like I haven't hit a PR in over a year and a half, but like 
that's okay because I'm going to hit a PR in five weeks from now or a year from now or whatever. So I think that's the biggest thing, especially young lifters. They can't really uh, conceptualize or comprehend just that like there's time and that's okay that this is going to take time, but it's you'd rather it take time than knock you out of the sport forever. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, like that is super hard for somebody to get on board with of like you haven't PR'd in a year and a half. That's I mean, that that's a tough pill to swallow mm-hmm. for for people, you know, but even I mean, I think even more so people have trouble just going lighter yeah. on a bad day. Yeah. Yes. Like I, so I run a fully, like my program's fully auto-regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually, like I have target weights that I kind of plan to hit, but it's, oh, it's all off RPE. And I posted about this, I think recently that, you know, if you have a bad day, you have a bad day, just go lighter because mm-hmm. man, you don't build fitness in a session, right? Exactly. Like you build fitness across multiple sessions across months, but you can build an inordinate amount of fatigue in a single session. Mm-hmm. Like you could you can ruin a training block in a session. Yeah. Right. So, you know, like I was, so I was over in Australia and I had just been on my feet over in Brisbane and walking around. It was like record highs and everything mm-hmm. over there. And I'd been teaching for two days. And then I went and had a bench workout and I was supposed to hit 240 for a double at an eight. And then I get up to 230 and it's like already an eight. Yeah. I'm like, well, Shit. crap. <laughs> Where yeah. do I go from <laughs> here? Like, yeah. So, but you know, so I was, so I just stopped right there. I did my 230 because at the end of the day, it's not about moving a weight. It's right. about providing a stress yes. to the system to provide, to create an adaptation. And that has been a big point that I try and get my athletes to understand is that you're not in there to hit a weight that day. Yes. You're in there to provide a stress. The weight is simply an objective marker of progress. Right. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't necessarily be looking for that objective marker of progress every single session. You should be looking to trend in the right direction over time. So I have so many athletes that need to hear that like 15 more times. Yeah. Because again, I do all of my programming is RPE based as well. And uh, I find, like I said, especially kind of with younger athletes, they think that um, they should be getting stronger like session to session. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be fine and good if you did that. That'd be amazing. But that's not really like that's not sustainable. There's right. no way you could do Y'all that forever. That's not the reality of life. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean that's cool. Like, yeah, if you're in your first year of training, then you could maybe have more linear progress. But like, um, I've been going th- through this personally too, is like this last week, because I'm a carpenter by trade. So um my normal day job, I do ceiling work and it's not really physically taxing at all. But this last week I did like wood framing. So I'm literally swinging a hammer all day long and I'm bent over and I'm picking up walls and doing all this stuff. And like this, this week of training, just, I realized I'm like, Hey, it's, you got to kind of conceptualize that. Like, it's not really going to be there. I mean, you're, you've been, you were working your ass off all day. Like you can't expect to go into the gym and hit like a PR or a rep PR have necessarily a, a great, great session. So I tell my, my athletes too, is you kind of have to just realize what you have going into the gym and realize like, Hey, um, maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night. Maybe my, I didn't eat as much before this session that I normally do. Um, and kind of take that into consideration when you're working up towards that top set or whatever and, and feeling how the weight feels and, uh, kind of using that to pick that top set and not, like you said, the weight is just a stimulus. Like 
at the end of the day, yeah, we're power lifters. So the weight you lift matters on the platform, but not necessarily day to day. Right. And I want to say actually two things. One, with all the framing that you were doing, for all you know, that stimulus from lifting walls being bent over, maybe now your deadlift sucks because your lower back is fatigued. Right. But who knows, three months from now, that stimulus, you super compensate. Now you have a bigger deadlift. (laughs) Right. Because all of a sudden. Farm boy strong, right? Exactly. That's what we we say out in Texas. (laughs) You can handle more stress. And then also what, when Jake was saying that he goes day by day, something I want the athletes to hear too is, let's say on a Tuesday, you're just not feeling great and that you know, whatever bench at an eight was maybe not the number you wanted. Well, maybe you reserve a little in the tank that day, even though you feel stressed. Who knows? Friday, your an RPE eight squat might be a PR because you right. you took the time to realize, hey, today I just don't have it. But again, being hopeful in that, who knows? Maybe a week from now, a PR. Right. And instead of pushing it that day when you know it's not necessarily there and kind of driving yourself into that hole, mm-hmm. you're like, you realize that and you're like, all right, well, you know, take this take this day as it is, and then just move on. Right, and it comes full yeah, circle. And, and to that's what, what happened. Okay. That's what happened to me too. Like I hit a two, I hit two fifty for three. Yeah, at yeah. an eight. The four weeks later. Yeah. Which is I had ended my last training block at two fifty for three and at an RP ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and I had the video of it, like me just like grinding it out near death. Yeah. And then <laughs> you know here I am just like it's flying up. So I so two thirty by for two at an eight took just took the day yep. and said okay here's the stimulus. Because and then there is two fifty for three. It just comes along. You just trend. Right. Yes. Patience, like you said. Right. And also going back to the the prehab thing. So you have to do lighter back squats or box squats or lunges or whatever. But again, same deal with whether you're framing a house or or whatever, or you're doing two thirty at an eight. Eventually, it's gonna again super compensate. Who knows? Six weeks from now, you're PR. Yeah. You have to look at the bigger picture, not necessarily the day. Yeah. Because there's times when you like. Going to the gym, you're like, man, I really, really, really want to hit this number today. But I always tell my athletes, like, that number's always going to be there. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, a 600-pound squat is wasn't there today, but who knows about next week? Who knows mm-hmm. about the week after? And those don't even matter. It's what's going to be there on the meet day. Right. So you just have, like, people just have this issue with these numbers. They put too much meaning on these numbers. And they, yeah. I think it's, I think... Instagram is to fucking blame on this one because it drives me nuts because people literally just lift to put up a freaking picture of a a video video on Instagram to see how many likes they get. And just like, hey, my training's going super, super good. This is a PR. It's like, okay, but you're six weeks out from a meet. And then you go to a meet and you don't even hit that number. It's like, what what really matters to you? Does it matter how you perform on the day that you're supposed to perform well or like how you performed on this? that no one cares about six weeks yeah ago. the word is desperation so that's something that i always tell my athletes if if you feel you desperately need to hit this number don't even try today because you are going to risk something so with jake when he was missing lifts for a few weeks in a row he felt to himself i need to get 395 throw caution to the wind i'm desperate now you get hurt yeah. Do you think it's less yeah. desperation, though, and more validation? Because yeah, we're kind of an individual sport, and you know, we don't always have somebody there going, hey, Brooke, that depth looked really great on that squat. But me, being the one who has been battling mobility issues and finally am hitting depth well on my squat, it felt amazing. It was like this amazing endorphin rush to be in a team lift and have Neil walk up and go, where the hell did all this depth come from, Brooke? Oh, my God. And I'm like, it feels great. But when we are a lot of times solo in a gym 
and we're going through the motions and we're already fatigued mentally and physically and we're getting through this programming, sometimes it makes me wonder if we're fighting more for validation than we are for desperation of number. Because we feel the only way we're going to get that validation is if we're the shiniest thing Mm -hmm. there. And to to retrain our minds to not want to always have to be the shiniest thing is something that is way beyond programming. It is way beyond everything. That's so introspective and um, but I do agree. I think Instagram has done that. It's it's made it so much easier for to receive, in my opinion, what is a very false, um, a very non-authentic validation, right. but it still feels good. It's like a drug. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say something that yeah. Jake will appreciate, and he's been kind of touching base on a little bit today, is, Brooke, you didn't get to depth on squat with an empty bar or air squats. You added load. Yeah. Right? And load over time, your, your body could deal with, okay, maybe I'm not past parallel but i'm close and then you would try it a little again and again but load is what did it and jake was saying that you know the empty bar isn't going to provide enough stimulus for your body to change and that's something that so many people need to realize is that if you cut your weight in half you might need to go to a different exercise you might need to try something else because again if you were squatting 400 now you're squatting 200 and you're only doing it once a week that is not enough load right and one thing that we did with brooke because Brooke is my shining star athlete here. And oh, like, thank you. He's only saying that because I'm sitting right in front of him and I can turn off his mic. <laughs> yeah. No, but I and will she say, will. <laughs> I, will. I will say, um, so Brooke had a meet this last weekend and she hit depth and got three white lights on a squat for the first time ever. And like she started crying and I literally started crying <laughs> because it had been a year and a half process that we were going through mm-hmm. this. And one thing that we did is like, I always had you squat. You always squatted, but... We had the light, the loads, you know, a little bit lighter, but it was, we st- didn't stop squatting because you couldn't hit depth. But I just added in other movements to still give you a little bit more stimulus so we can add a little bit more strength there. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I'll just say it was pretty incredible to see yeah. you hit depth there. And when I was like sitting back there watching your, watching your lift behind the side judge and I saw you and I'm like, there's no question there. <laughs> like that is clearly depth. I'm like, this is incredible. Well, and um, I'm going to actually toot uh, Mr. Harden's, uh, excuse me, uh, J-Rod's uh, horn here. Um, it's funny because I have been through the, oh, you shouldn't be squatting at all. Oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Or um, when you said dead bug earlier, it triggered me hardcore inside my soul. Um Because everybody put me into these stupid little PT movements and they said, well, you just need to make your VMO stronger or you just need to. No. So I had been battling through all these different things everybody kept telling me to do. And I read it was actually one of your posts on patients and picking one or two things that seemed to work for you. But don't give up on them. Stick with them. And I had started doing this glute routine because Mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling my glutes in the hole. And mentally it was it was kind of scary. I'm like, how am I going to get out of this with this weight on my back? So I started doing literally four simple movements. That's it. Four simple movements that lit my butt on fire and a couple others that um, were actually to help really help open up the mobility in my hips. And I stuck with them for like three weeks. And now all of a sudden they're still, I'm still sticking with them. And the more that I continue to consistently do those four simple things that weren't dead bugs, that weren't take me away from what my goal was, I'm literally... Even in our our, our our team session over the weekend and non-competition, non, you know, nobody's really watching. I'm still hitting depth in my squats. And I don't know that I would have done that if I hadn't stuck it out right. with those four basic movements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you, Jake. So in Brooke's case, she's using these 
she's getting more out of less, but at what point do you feel she can go away from those exercises because the squat is doing it enough? Like, do you say, hey, you know what, you can do those four exercises forever? Or at what point and how do you make that decision of when to pull them out? When she feels comfortable doing that. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, like there, there is no right or wrong answer there. Right. You just kind of have to test things. Yeah. You have to give a trial run with stuff. Um, you know, you don't know until you know. So I would say, Hey, you know what? You seem to, it's been pretty consistent. You're mm-hmm. feeling the way you want to feel. You're hitting depth the way you want to hit depth. So, Hey, maybe we, let's try and not do that routine this week and just see what happens. Yeah. 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 Let's cool. just see what happens. Right. Let's just, let's try and, and I'll, I think that having, um, yeah, because there there can be a little bit of a psychological dependence that can come yeah. along with some yeah. of those routines right, and stuff. Right. Makes you feel so, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you and we see this, you know, people get into their rituals, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, you know some people, you know, think that like, oh, I can't train today if I don't foam roll or something. For ninety or, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes right. sometimes uh, people just keep tacking on things in their warm up and it drives me nuts. Yeah. You've right. been on that you've been warming up for an hour. Yeah, Go do something. <laughs> So I've created, so I, I have what we kind of have our, um, our little tier system yeah. with warmups mm-hmm. that we use. Uh, and it's just really, where I can I find this deep. tier system? Do you got, do you uh, have I, it? On I the write way? it. Oh, okay. It's been okay. written into, just look at any of the captions that I talk about. Warm-ups awesome. Selling. You'll I'm, hear me reference it. Cool. Um, but if, so tier one is your bare bones all right, I'm walking to the gym. I feel pretty good today. I'm just going to get under the bar and the, the bar and work my workups on that. My feel it out sets. That is the warm up, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that should be the end goal for all of us Yes, is to be able to walk into the gym and just do the damn thing. Yeah. I right? love this guy. Yeah. Me too, man. Right. God. So tier, tier two, tier, <laughs> tier two, I'm walking into the gym today. I'm, you know, I'm feeling kind of stiff. Maybe I was maybe, you know, maybe I was framing or something all day mm-hmm. and, yeah, I just feel like I need something to just get me loose. Mm-hmm. So this is where you might throw in some of your dynamic stretches. This is where you might throw in some of your movement flows. Some A lot of the routines that I tend right. to show on my page are that tier two side of things. And then you would move to the empty bar, do your workups, et cetera, et cetera. And that's that's kind of where Brooke's at with with her right. routine. Right. Right. That's like a, that'd be like a tier two, you know. Moving from tier one to tier, moving from tier two to tier one is just you just got to try it and say, you know, I've been feeling pretty good. Yeah, I, know I feel pretty good today. Yeah. So let me just drop into a, a couple air squats, see how I feel. Yep, feels pretty good. Let's go to the bar, mm-hmm. right? And we just try. Um, and maybe it feels the way you want it to feel, or maybe it doesn't. And then finally, you have like a tier three, which is your really elaborate warm up. Mm-hmm. And that may be somebody who's dealing with an ache or a pain or an injury, and it's like, all right, I need to. I need to do these three exercises to kind of just make my shoulder feel good right. before I get in. That's where I'm going to add in my bands. Maybe I do need to do my crab walks mm-hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. Then I'm going to do some dynamic stretches and then I'm going to go and finally get working. Right. But that should really be reserved for somebody who's like pretty beat up. Right. Like that's a, that's a, cut. Co- like I'm coming up on peaking mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'm deep into a prep kind of thing. Like I just don't feel the way I would normally feel on a good day. Yeah. So I need to do a little low intensity, low fatigue work in order to just get my body kind of moving, get my joints feeling mm-hmm. like they can actually be ready to accept some load. Right. Yeah. And Is that why, like, like when we do get closer way. to the end of a cycle, I'll say to Cole, like I feel like I have to do way more sets in my squats. Like it'll take me three, four, five sets 
before I even start to, you know what I mean? Where you feel that just groove, everything feels smooth and like it's supposed to be happening. And it'll take me a lot longer when we get towards the end of programming coming up on a meet to, uh, to actually feel comfortable under the bargain. Mm, yeah. yeah. Embrace the suck. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you have all that accumulative because, fatigue that's kind of been ramping up all the way through yeah. the prep. And then now you're feeling all that too. And we're still kind of pushing that, pushing that intensity a little bit towards the end of that prep. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. That's when you need it. Yeah, so if you look at the stuff. fitness and fatigue model of performance, uh, which I would recommend anybody who wants to uh, should go read Chris Beardsley's blog on Medium if okay. that wants to read on that. Yeah. Um, so performance at any given point, we've all kind of probably seen that performance curve, that um, stimulus recovery adaptation yep. or SRA curve. Yep. That curve is the sum, it's the summation of fitness and fatigue mm -hmm. at any given time point. So fitness being all those positive adaptations of training we make, fatigue being, hey, you're tired, you're beat up, tissues are damaged and need to heal, et cetera, et cetera. So in order for us to actually get that super compensation effect, that huge peaking effect, mm -hmm. it's you are building up fitness in the background through all the stimulus that you provide. Yep. But in order to provide all that stimulus, it comes at a fatigue cost. Right, right. right? And so especially as you're coming into a powerlifting meet, like there is no way to do an easy double like no. at 98%, right? Yeah, right, yeah. It, it just, it either is an RPE 9 or it's an RPE 8 or it's failure. Right, and that's right. just what it is. There, there is no RPE 6 double. No. So, and if it is, go heavier, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if there is, you got to go heavier. So at that point, you can't get away from fatigue mm -hmm. because the RPEs have to be so high on every single set. So as you're coming into that meet, you're going to be accumulating a lot of that fatigue, which is going to mask a lot of the fitness. Because if you just think of it from a pure math equation, yeah. fitness being positive addition, fatigue being negative subtraction, Absolutely. you're going, it could look, it can look like zero or in and the it can hole. look like you're not making a, yeah, or it yeah. can look like, even, so if you look at it, let's say a squat for 200 pounds for six reps is baseline performance. If you built fitness on top of that, you go to 205. But if you build fatigue, you might do 195. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we want to trend up, trend up, trend up. And we see that across a training cycle. But then we get near the end of that cycle. And you might even see a little bit of a dip in performance mm -hmm. or performance looks like it stalls or it slows yes. down. Yes. And then what, we, then what do we do? We taper yep. or we deload. And what happens there is fitness does it builds slower, but it also drops off slower. Mm -hmm. Fatigue builds quickly, but it drops off quickly. Mm -hmm. So in that taper week where we keep our intensity high or we keep that intensity high during the deload, but we keep but we drop the volume of work that we do, that brings the fatigue down. So now we've just balanced out the equation and all that fitness manifests. Right, yes, right. Performance now manifests, and what we see is a super compensation. It was really it was something really you there, had yeah. long. Yeah, right. That's super interesting, yeah. and I and I hope a lot of, of my athletes are listening right now because I have a couple athletes who have a meet this next weekend. So they have they're you know at the peak level of fatigue, um, and we hit openers uh, yesterday, and some of them were kind of like discouraged because they're like, "Man, I feel like that should have moved faster." I'm like, "Hey." No, I mean we're you are at the worst that you're gonna get right now. Right. So the fact that that moved that well, the fact that you moved it, at you all. moved it at all. That's, yeah. that's at all. Yeah. Right. right. That's good. That's good. So now you know when you pull back that taper, everything's gonna come through. You're gonna rest, recover, sleep, eat, 
do whatever you have to do so that then that's the reason why if you look at someone's like Instagram where they post like their openers they look maybe a lot slower than they did on meat day mm-hmm. meat day that they freaking blow that thing up and it's like holy crap where did right. that come from it's like like you said right. it's been there all along but when you subtract that fatigue that's what really we you undercover you uncover that fitness that you've developed throughout right. the whole training cycle yeah so i want to so have oh once finish what you're saying yep. something you. um so understanding that has a couple implications in that Going back to what we said, like take the easy day, mm-hmm. don't fatigue because whenever you come in and you're already fatigued and everything's moving like crap, mm-hmm. you going heavier and doing more volume than you really should be doing on that that day is adding fatigue to an already fatigued system. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's just that can just drive you further into a recovery debt. Maybe you can't even overcome that recovery debt. And at that point, then you can really just ruin an entire training block because you just can't drop off or you're gonna have to deload way sooner than expected or longer. So yeah, yeah, or longer. Right. So there's that. So if you understand that it's just this balancing act all the time, you're like, okay, I know it's a bad day. It's because of fatigue that it's a bad day because obviously I didn't just get exponentially weaker in a week. Right. Right. Like that just didn't, that doesn't happen. Happening. Yeah. Right. I still have those force production capabilities within me. Mm-hmm. So you understand it's fatigue. So you don't, so you take what's there. You will then recover better right. going into the next week. And then you're going to see that it's probably there. Right. On the flip side of that, if you actually want to be able to take advantage of a taper or a deload or a peak, you have to have the fatigue. You mm-hmm. have to push it sometimes. So yeah. yeah. You have yeah, to know so when to push it and know when to kind of draw be, back. Exactly. And that's, I so think you, that's when a, when a coach can come into play right. a big time or just a more experienced lifter kind of knows when to make those training decisions. Yeah. Um, what I'll, I'll tell my weightlifter, weightlifting athletes is sometimes on your bad days, that's the best thing possible mm-hmm. because you are fatigued. Like you've been saying, Jake, in that you should see it as a benefit, a good thing. So you have to take a few lighter today. No big deal. But we know we're doing enough. Yeah. We're at least doing enough right. because if we're not doing enough, you're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, so those those first weeks coming out of a deload, those should be easy weeks because yes. fatigue's really low. You yeah. haven't accumulated it. That means, hey, just because it feels easy doesn't mean go and throw three extra sets of work Dang in there. Right. It doesn't mean throw the weight even higher because fatigue is low right now. It's supposed to feel that way. It's going to get harder yes. as we go. Right. And this kind of goes into the whole long-term training of it all, that whole long-term planning in that they're supposed it's supposed to undulate. There's supposed mm, yes. to be periods where it's easier. There's supposed to be periods where it's really hard. And somewhere in the middle, it's just going to be challenging. Mm. Yeah. And you know, the majority of it should be challenging. Right. right. And uh, I have a good example of this this past weekend. Um, uh, I had an athlete who we worked up to their, no, it was two weeks ago. So they worked up to their top single and then uh, they had like four sets of two on the back down. And like after the fourth set, like it still looked really good. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to do two more sets because like right now is the time to push that fatigue level and it's going to be, it's okay right now to do this. So that set looked really good. There's no form breakdown or nothing. You can, you can handle this couple, little more volume. Let's do it. Let's, and then it gives you an opportunity. We worked on commands a little bit more, um, stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all knowing when to, when to push it, when to hold back. Right. 
and kind of when to then how that's going to affect your performance. And knowing that the next week your goal is just openers, mm-hmm. you can be a little bit more fatigued yeah. because you're you're not risking anything. Because if this was four weeks ago, now you might be risking something. Right. 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 Absolutely. Right. There's no like you, you're much more comfortable doing some sets at RPE nine, you yes. know, the week before a deload. Yes. Right. Yes. Than you are doing it week one of the new training block. Right. right? And that's what I tell my athletes too. It's like, hey, like. If you are going to overshoot, don't overshoot week one. Wait till right. week three right. to overshoot because week three, we could afford to overshoot a little bit there. That's not as detrimental to your training as if you were to do it in week one. Right. And an RPE nine on week one might be 30 pounds less than an RPE nine on week three. Exactly. Just because and that's, you got to build into that comfort. And that's and that, taking away that mm-hmm, overall right. training volume that we're trying to accumulate. Exactly. Not just weeks, but years during your training life. Right. Yeah. So, so with do, everything we're talking about here, I think we can all kind of see maybe some of the problems that come in with like a pure percentage-based program yes. yeah, yeah. in that if you are walking in and it's just like, well, here's everything's written out for me. Here's the weight. Here's the reps. Here's <sighs> the sets. And you just go and do it regardless of how you feel that day. Like how, how do you manage that? How do you handle that yep. for these bad, like for these bad days? And how, you know, cause I work with a lot of people who don't have a coach. They're on, you know, they found that template online. They're kind of rolling with it, you know, Wendler five, three, one, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's, yeah, <laughs> at least with Wendler, you know, at least with Wendler's though, it has the AMRAPs, yeah, that's which, is true. A of, which is a form of auto-regulation of itself. Yep. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with somebody, a lot of my people who aren't necessarily too good with RPE yet, you know, we implement like a, instead of a top set determined by rpe they'll do a top set determined by amrap so the load is kind of fixed for them but then we say all right but stop that first like whenever it first starts to feel like it slows down or that Mm -hmm. first grind that's where you stop because that's probably an rp seven to eight right right. and so we kind of get them feeling it out that way and then the load can kind of adjust off of that so that kind of gets them in the right spot but Another I mean, another thing that we can do is if you work on more of a percentage-based program is to use what we call kind of a load zone. Mm-hmm. So if your program says 75%, that should really be like 70 to 80%. Right, right. And you have a range there to where if you're coming in feeling kind of a bad day, like you're totally on a tier three warm-up kind of thing today, mm-hmm. it's probably a 70% day. Yeah. You know, versus you're walking in, you're feeling alive, then, you know, 80% might be there that day. Absolutely. And those loads aren't so drastically different that it's going to give you a right. different training effect. Right. And that's one so thing, we, one thing too, is like, again, kind of touching back on the, uh, the mental aspect of, of training is like, there's times if you, if you have a strictly percentage-based program and you like, I would always do this like the night before I'm freaking dreading, like I have to hit what tomorrow? Are you serious? <laughs> And then like, We've all been there. yeah, and then you go into the gym and like you said, maybe you're, it's just not there that day. And then you, you're, you're warming up and you're like, fuck, man, I don't know if I got this. And then you don't have it. And then you feel like the whole training was a failure. And then you get down on yourself yep. and you're, you know, mentally kind of in the dumps a little bit. And you're like, dang, my training isn't going good. And, and then that can perpetuate into, into kind of ruining your block. If that's a, cause if you're always kind of pushing, 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 and then. I mean, your, your confidence can go out the window and it can really affect everything. Yeah. So I have to be the flip side of this though. So being a weightlifter, I go based off of numbers sets. I, I have the number in my head of, I have to hit this today type situation. Mm -hmm. Now each day 
you know, one day it's a little more intense, the next day it's a little easier, volume is kind of interspersed, and I do go through training blocks, but sometimes that can be the most motivating thing. Because I don't, oh, yeah, want, for you sure. Because I don't it's want kind of like feeling. a sink or swim type exactly. Thing. Uh, where if I know, okay, I have to hit a two forty two snatch today, I have to hit it, you know, or at least today, if I miss it once, I'm gonna take another crack at it. And right. if I don't get it, fine, it was a bad day. But right. And the thing is, too, I feel like you can kind of swing that with weightlifting because mm-hmm. the failures aren't as detrimental on your training exactly. as it is in powerlifting. Yeah, yeah. F- the fatigue management is a little bit easier with weightlifting right. because you know. There's the, there's a method where you could almost max out two, three times a week and yeah. still be okay if you don't do it for a very long time. Where with powerlifting, if you oh, max out, dude. you're done for a few weeks. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I, go and, you know, and there's also like, if you're, there's a difference between saying, seeing that 242 there and saying, oh, I have to hit that today. Yeah. Five weeks out from a meet versus right. six months out from a meet. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And then having the wherewithal to understand, because you obviously know what you're doing mm-hmm. and you can be like, again, you can auto-regulate yourself. Right. When you, if you realize that's yeah. really not there, then you're like, okay, well, yeah. I need to take it down a notch. Exactly. Today. And yeah. that comes from all the years where I just kept banging my head against the wall. Yeah. But also <laughs> something with weightlifting is technique, right? Mm-hmm. I on the platform, I have to be comfortable lifting those numbers because a 242 snatch is different than a 220 in in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something that I have to practice. But I do want to kind of shift gears a little bit. So we've talked about the training aspect, and I'm sure you agree. Nutrition plays a huge role in how fatigued you are, how well you recover, what an RPE-8 kind of feels like. So let's kind of, how do you deal with athletes and their nutrition? Because I'm assuming you talk about it. Yeah. Um, I think you have to prior, You have to make sure the priorities are set first. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that somebody has their basic foundation down before you try and implement a lot of performance enhancement type stuff. Right. So um, at the very basic, basic, basic level, are you drinking enough water? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you hydrated going into training? That should be, I think, the first thing that we need to ask Yeah. because like, we know people can train fasted. You know, we know yep. people can train fed. Yep. So whether you've had pre-workout meal or whatever, yeah, whatever, you know, might swing either way. But we all kind of don't feel too good dehydrated. Right. Yeah. And we know dehydration will kind of cut strength levels. So that's the first thing. Then looking at it from just that, global scale, uh, are you getting enough calories to feed your goals? Yeah. You know, um, a lot of us in the competitive world are going to be, have weight class restrictions. Yep. So I, you know, if you don't want to have to do a hard cut to get into a weight class, then you probably shouldn't be packing on a bunch of weight in your off season either. You should make it more gradual. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, also on the flip side of that, like, are you under eating? Are you not getting enough in? Because if you're just chronically, if you're hard dieting yeah. right now, you're going to be more fatigued. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's and uh, that, obviously that's going to affect your training. Right. And, yeah, that's yeah. huge too. Because go for it. Um, I have an athlete who is competing in bench worlds this next week, and um, she came up and we hit her openers on Saturday as well, and. Um, it just she, she kind of had a tough time with just like her warm ups weren't moving like she wanted, and then I mean she proceeded to tell me like, hey, you know my I've been kind of crash dieting this last week because I need to get down my weight class. I'm like, okay, well of course your training session isn't going to be as good. Yeah, you know like you, you you just have to take that in consideration, and that's one thing that just adds another aspect into that whole 
peak phase is like diet, what you're doing with your calories. Cause your fatigue level is so effing high that if you are also do like you're training that hard and then your calories are low, I mean, that's, that's a tough place to be in, but yeah. that's a place that we find ourselves in like all, all the time. Yeah. yeah. And for some well, people, you know, the more, the more variables you're having to kind of yes manage right. yes. all the time, the harder this gets. Right. So exactly. it's one of those things to where, I mean, we can say about, we can say that about training. Like I know like, um, Mike to share is like emerging strategies approach mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. It's like manipulate the smallest amount of variables as possible. Yes. That way you know, it actually works. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agree in that the, the more stuff you can hold steady, the more you know that the changes you made actually did something. Right. So if if someone isn't consistent with their nutrition, it's all over the place. Well, how do you know that, that fatigue is actually from their training load? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, oh, I, I don't. Right. If they don't. If they're sporadic with their sleep, I don't know if that fatigue is actually from their training load. Am I dosing them with too much volume? Mm-hmm. Am I dosing them with not enough volume? Exactly. I don't know. Right. So it makes the job of the coach so much harder if that if those variables aren't taken into consideration um i mean it's just like saying like oh well that was an rp9 but yeah but your technique went to shit four reps ago yeah. right like, <laughs> and was it a nine because you only had four when, when hours of sleep <laughs> yeah you know yeah so um we have to try and hold as many variables as right. steady as possible so nutrition first or hydration first is the easiest one yep. global level calories you know, then getting into more so like your the thing that's going to re- help you recover the most. Make sure you get adequate protein for strength yeah. training, mm-hmm. right? So, um, protein levels, whatever the general recommendations are out there, 0. 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound right. seems to be the general recommendation, depending on what your um, caloric level looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think beyond that, you can start to get more into the nitty gritty of it if someone is kind of good with that, right? Where, Capable right, of that, per- right. yeah. Yeah. You know, and obviously, like vitamins, nutrients mm-hmm. don't have a completely crap diet. Yeah. Like, eat some whole foods, please. <laughs> you mean um, I can't just have donuts yeah. and protein shakes to get all of these numbers? <laughs> oh, yeah, you go calories and yeah. protein, man. Yeah, that's all that counts. Well, if all you that get counts. plenty of that backstage at the powerlifting. Meet, oh my gosh, the amount of donuts I saw donut. yesterday was insane. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, you just w- weighed in. Now you're gonna put all this crap in your system. Oh, Sour Patch Kids are like the number one thing at a powerlifting oh, meet. Yeah. 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 How yeah. are you supposed yeah. to snatch anything if you have like, four donuts like a rock <laughs> in your stomach? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I can't, I I don't, I don't even do monsters before training anymore because yeah. they feel like they bloat me up so much that my uh, like belt, my belt just yeah. doesn't fit fit right. Yeah. There's only one so, thing like, that I've I will hardline. There's only one thing I will hardline before I do a big lift session, and Cole gives me shit about it constantly because I'm on a cut right now because I really want to. I'm I'm obviously the 85 plus category, so I really like to help my IPF numbers and kick my number, you know, my weight down. And I'm like, dude, I'm already down like eight pounds from like Saturday's meat. I know it's water weight, but still he goes, no, maybe it's because you're not mainlining hard shell tacos every other hard day. Hard shell tacos. Like, <laughs> seriously, like I have my best lift sessions after well, I eat hard shell tacos. I don't know what, what did it we is. we say about rituals? Salt. Yeah. It's probably the salt. <laughs> well, for real. Really? Here's what she was doing too, is she was justifying having a bullshit diet. She's like, I need to, I'm gonna, I have a meat this weekend, so I need to get as many calories in as possible. She's just crushing. You know, C.T. Fletcher used to have... Oh. Uh, 
McDonald's every day, yep. and yeah. what do you have? Four Big Macs and fries for lunch every day. If it makes he you... had two heart attacks. Okay. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, listen. I already understand how my body works. Like the reason it's hard shell tacos is because it's there's no gluten. I'm not dealing with it. Corn is fine. Corn doesn't bloat You're me. You're just justifying all. I of this. totally I love hard shell tacos. Yeah, I I would go to I would literally go to the mattresses for uh, as they say in the Godfather for hard shell tacos. But oh, just call it, just, but I can't eat them now. Discretionary calorie allotment. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> There you go. There you go. You can be yes. whatever you want, you know? <laughs> but yeah, uh, eat a but, few vegetables, have a little bit of fruit, put some nutrients in yeah, your body, right? Yeah. Do, do the stuff you know you're supposed to do, right? right? Be an adult about it. Yeah, um, seriously. I yeah. totally feel like I just got put in timeout. <laughs> Go put no, your nose in the corner. Discretionary calorie allotment, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't, oh. know how many, I don't know how many tacos we're having here, how many uh, we're talking. Uh, it's training, usually four. <laughs> Four hard shell tacos in a single sit. And then like little, that's it though. Like wham, 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 all four of them. <laughs> and I have the best live sessions of my life. Like it's crazy. Maybe you just need it's more gotta salt. It's yeah. got to be the sodium. It's got to be the sodium. You probably don't get enough salt in your life and those hard shell tacos are giving it to you. Oh, and God. the shitty ass meat that's probably in it You know, too. all I have that to say is, if, in it. you yeah. know, it's like Marie Kondo. Like Chalk. I smell them and they give me joy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I figure we keep them. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so, so once you're past that, then we can, you know, you say like, oh, well, this person performs better on higher carbs. This person performs yep. better on higher fat. Right. This person performs better fasted. This person performs better what yada, yada, yada. Um, that's as far as I take it because okay. I'm not a nutritionist, right, not a right. dietitian. So, you know, if it's the re- other things like intolerances or allergies mm-hmm. or anything like that, they need to go speak to somebody yes. um, professionally about that. Do you recommend any sort of supplements like omegas or vitamin Ds or anything like that or... You just kind of say, go to a nutritionalist. Well, I, yeah, I, I would. How about this? Like I'll ask this question. What for do you give yourself? Because you can talk about what you take all you want. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm a minimalist by by heart. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't. I'm not like a multivitamin kind of guy because okay. I just I get a pretty whole food diet. But um, creatine, mm-hmm. I use a protein supplement just to help get it, the numbers in, yep. uh, and a fish oil. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Like, well, I, I think now I live in I live in Florida, so vitamin D is not exactly yeah, a big yeah. deal. Up here, here in the great um, white north, we need to. You live, yeah. you know, it's above. It snowed on yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, okay. it snowed on Tuesday. It oh snowed on God. Tuesday. So. <laughs> yeah, bullshit. Yeah, probably, okay, probably, I've been taking my vitamin D every day now. Yeah. So, fuck this snow. No, but I think kind of what you described there is just. I mean, you as long as you're hitting your bases. You know, then and then you can then go from there as far as fine tuning things like right. that. But it's hard to like when people talk about carb cycling and all this stuff and they don't even I mean, they don't their, even understand the science behind it. But they know, oh, I'm going right. to cut my carbs. Or they and, don't get their protein allotment for the day. Why aren't I performing better while I'm carb cycling? Come right. on. It's because you just get get those, you know, those main staples of what you need mm-hmm. and then go from there. Mm hmm. So, you know, we talk about like holding those variables steady. Yes, to, absolutely. It's like it's really just trying to hold recovery mm-hmm. and like have a good baseline recovery knowing, OK, I recovered this well between training sessions. So therefore, if I'm not performing well, it's probably due to accumulation of fatigue due to load. Yes. So what a, if you really want to hone in on those things, it's like it's all the basic stuff, you know, you need to do mm-hmm. the stuff that's going to affect recovery and affect how you feel day to day is get it is sleep mm-hmm. make sure you get enough sleep hydration nutrition manage your psychological stress yes. yeah. don't be totally stressed out yeah 
Consistency. Like, listen, manage, that entire list just triggered me personally man. inside. I want you to know the entire list you just said. <laughs> I feel triggered. Calm I've, the hell down. Oh, you Psychological guys, stress. I feel seen. <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> so, it, like, those are the things that'll actually affect you and could actually like maybe drag your recovery down if you don't manage those. Yes. Then, you know, then if you want to say, all right, you know, I want to go get a massage or mm -hmm. I want to do an ice bath or I want to do, you know, a foam rolling or chiropractic adjustments or whatever else on top of that, realize that the lack of those things is not going to make your recovery yeah. worse, yes. but they might make, they might make you feel better because you like them. Right. And so, but make sure you take care of the bit, the big things first yeah. and don't use the other stuff as like a, uh, a bandaid. To, you know, not get your, you know, get your sleep at night. Right. Yeah. I think something that I really appreciate about you is you strike me as the type that tries to work himself out of a job. And I like that yeah. where, you know, a lot of people around here do chiropractic as a means where yeah. you need to come Once. twice a week for the rest of your life type yeah. situation where sickening. Yeah. I like it where you're the minimal effective dose type guy. It's it's very very refreshing and a breath of fresh air for sure. Yeah. Um. Because, so to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying, so I've experimented with six weeks of salt baths and six weeks of cryo and six weeks of massage and unless I'm going to consistently do those, I'm not going to get the one percent two percent bonus out of it. Mm -hmm. Where, again, so this training phase, I kind of took some of that out just so I have a base where I know, hey, when I'm only caring about sleeping, nutrition, water, how much caffeine I'm taking in and things like that. I know this is minimally what I need right. from my you training. Took, you took some of those variables yeah. out so you can really see what, what it, is affecting Exactly. And, and now going into it, I have three weeks of different things because all I've been doing is weightlifting for 18 months straight now. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's time to just have a very general phase again. GPP, man. Yeah, some GPP. So during this phase, now I can really look at the last 18 months of training and say, Okay, now what can I do? What variables do I want to manipulate so I kind of know where it's going to go? Mm -hmm. Do I need more squat volume? Do I need to clean more? Whatever. Yeah. And I, right. I yeah. You know, we have we have some athletes that I have to try and pull back on all their recovery modalities mm. a little bit too because it can have a it can actually like long term have a bit of a detrimental effect on yeah. them in that the it the easy one to pick on is the foam roller, but it, you know it could be anything. Salt, ba I mean, uh, uh, ice baths. Salt are baths, a big yeah, one. yeah, ice baths, anything. In that, you can get so used to how you feel having those things that then you have to train on the road, or you have a competition that's not at home, or you have something and you don't have access to those things, and it actually causes a decrease in your performance, or like psychologically, right? More, more than right physically you're probably still good but psychologically you don't feel ready to do what you need to do because you don't have access to your modality that you've kind of become dependent on so i would rather somebody use those things kind of as a hey you know what i really want to perform my absolute best today mm -hmm. so i'm going to do that yes you know because like i'm going to go get that thing because i really want to do really well on this next session or i'm testing on this next week or whatever. So I'm going to do that, but it's not something I would recommend using every single day throughout your entire training, mm -hmm. you know, to, 
as a recovery modality. But Jake, I got to keep this inflammation down. <laughs> oh my gosh. All this inflammation like I'm causing. Business. Right. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's kind of like a, a comfort blanket some people have where Absolutely. that foam roller is literally attached to their hip. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just at a meet yesterday and I, I, I saw we're going to bring it back to the, the warm up thing. Some of the people that were warming up, it seemed like they were a zombie where I go from this foam roller to this, to that stretch, to this mobility, to blah, 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 blah. Now I'm touching the bar 40 minutes later and it's become such a habit and routine there's no way it's benefiting them anymore. So how do you pull an athlete out of that? I think it's just like a routine thing. And you yeah. just kind of have to break them. But how do, you, how do you, because obviously these people have been doing this routine for at least a year. Yeah. It's just so ingrained where it's, again, they, they it's just, they it's a zombie. They're not even right. trying to foam roll to actually improve their range of motion or anything. They're just foam rolling to do it because they've done it every day for the last year. Well, I think doesn't that come onto a case by case scenario? Like we were talking about how you pick those one or two things that seem to work for you and they're helping you and you see what's going to help. Like, for example, for me, um, I do have to foam roll and I do my certain glute activation things and stuff like that. However, I have noticed that um, like with my foam rolling, it changes. I'm not just rolling out my quads and being done with it every time. Like sometimes I have to, you know, like if I know I'm feeling some, some tightness in my, um, my hip flexors or maybe my ITs are giving me a little extra, you know, not so love, then I do that. I know what you're talking about though, whereas basically you can tell they're just doing the same basic foam rolling that they probably saw somewhere else and they're just doing it to do it. Or they just read the supple leopard. Now they're trying everything on every page. (laughs) Everything. Everything. (laughs) Right. do all 300 pages. We all all went through that phase. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and this, I think, maybe wouldn't this be pushed more on the coach's responsibility if they're coached to be like, hey, I I need to pay attention to your working sets, but I should be paying attention to how you are warming up. Mm -hmm. And am I like you being the out, the coach being the outside eye looking in would have the ability to say, are we seeing some improvement with what we're doing as that warm up? I mean, would that be something that's agreeable or no? Or Yeah, I think it's agreeable. I mean, I think that and, you know, you also don't try and make drastic changes for people. It's something that you would pull maybe one thing out at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so talking about the glute routine from earlier, right? Maybe you don't go from four exercises to just the bar. Maybe you say, all right, let's go and do what do you, what, what do you feel? This is going to be a conversation between me and you. What do you feel are the two that give you the most bang for your buck? Mm-hmm. Right. What right. And what two do you feel are kind of the least bang for your buck? Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I, I think that, you know, I think that side sidesteps and kickbacks are the two best ones. Or what are the four exercises that you're doing? The four that I'm doing? Um, I do a foot together banded hip thrust where I where I pull my knees out. So my, my heels mm-hmm. are together. I'll switch it out to a wide stance hip thrust. Um... I then turn them each side, and what I'll do is laying flat on my side, I actually do, it's 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 a cool little stretch I do for the outside of my hip, where basically together I'll lift my feet, I look like I'm kind of doing like a seal, <laughs> a little bit on each side, and then uh, the last one I do is kind of like a frog, um, except for I make sure that I have my feet flexed, almost like they would be like on the floor with a squat, so I will, um, this is just what I do before I do my squats. This is the four movements that I do. Um, and then what I will do with foam roll in general before sets because hip mobility and tightness, that's where my knee pain is coming from is I have just ridiculously tight legs and hamstrings and all this crap. So for example, if I'm on 
set three of warm-ups for squats, and I'm noticing that I'm getting a ping of kind of a pull pain in a certain part of my knee. I know that I can attack that tight sector a little bit in between my sets, and the pain goes away almost immediately. So I'm noticing a really good change in the way my soft tissues are 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 allowing me to get through these movements as I'm working them throughout instead of just doing a, hey, I'm just going to roll my calves quick. I'm just going to roll my ITs quick. Right. I'm going to run into it. So mine has been very... Um, Reactionary I've had to, instead right. of... Right. I've had to really listen right. to my body. But I also believe you put a slingshot around your knees, right? I do. I so put a slingshot. A hip circle. Yeah, hip yep. circle and you do some laps and yep. you do some squats. So you're doing quite a few things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've also noticed that there's been days where I've been in a hurry and I haven't done certain things. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that when I don't do the frog... I still am okay getting down to my mobility. There you go. So there was so, one there so that the I'm like. there's the first one you're probably going to yep. cut out. And then right. my question would be, could you even just put the hip circle on and get through it now, now that you can actually get depth already? Right. Because for me, right. that's basically all I do. So I basically do crossover symmetry for my shoulders just to make sure that they're healthy. And then I, a minute with that hip circle, I'll do like a lap facing one way, a couple squats, and then I'm in it. Because right. that's enough for me. Well, and I've noticed the monster walks with the hip circle don't mm -hmm. do as much for me. I okay. think sometimes it's just in a busy gym. It's a way for me to get my head in the space again. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, when I was doing the uh, the banded hip thrusts, those are the ones that light my glutes on fire like crazy. Especially that outside of the glute yep. and that lower portion of my glute gets a really good kick to it. And uh, those ones seem to uh, <clears throat> to really help me activate things as I'm coming out of the hole much okay. better than monster walks would and things like that. I'm pretty strong in my legs. And so there seems to be something when I'm dealing with having those knees already bent and I'm working those glutes that I, I seem to have, a, from what I can feel, um, a better response out of it. Yeah. You know, the, the hip thrust is going to hit the glute max a lot more than the side steps are going to be much more glute me, glute men, mm -hmm. you know, so depending on what you feel works best for you. So obviously we have two hip thrust variations in there. Which one of those do you feel is more beneficial to you if you had to pick one? Like if you were really short on time and you only got one of them to do that day because you had to be out of there pretty quick, which one would you do? It would be the one with the feet together and as I'm thrusting up, I'm pressing those knees out. Cool. So that's probably where I would go with it if okay. we were to say we're going to make that gradual transition to that kind of tier one warm up where yeah. it's just the bar. We're going to probably get rid of the wide stance hip thrust and the frog first because she sees more benefit probably out of the other two. Mm -hmm. And so we start there and maybe because we're cutting out one hip thrust, maybe we just go one and a half times the volume on the other one to start, mm -hmm. right? Just to give her a little bit of the feel, a mm -hmm. bit more of it. Yeah. And so we've cut out an exercise, just kind of increased dosage when the other one then we get her into the bar, let her do her foam rolling in between or whatever and see how things go yeah. there. You know, and then we just then we'll kind of repeat that process. OK, well, you know, how are you feeling here? Let's cut out this one. Maybe instead of you really like those hip thrusts. Cool. Do it. Do it for the rest of your life if you want to. Right. Like that's it's well, going to take 30 seconds of your day and no one ever no one's training ever like got worse because they warmed up for five minutes. Right. And here's the thing, too, is like if you cut those two out and then get under the bar for one you, more set and you but you get under the bar and you do a couple of sets and you're like, hey, I'm still not really I don't feel ready. And then just go back and do the other right. two then. And right. then you get to yeah. a point where you don't need them. Yeah. And I really appreciate yeah. the way you approach it, Jake, because you're giving you're you're giving the power back to the athlete where even though. Yeah. 
you're the one that has the information and you're the one that's actually coaching them. You're bringing yourself on their level and allowing them to kind of take over. And I really like that because rather than just saying, I want you to take these away, you ask them, yeah. which ones do you want to take away? And again, mm-hmm. that's that's huge to me because m- me as well, I always want the athlete to be able to do it themselves eventually. Yeah. Well, right. I think they're going to stick to it better too if they feel like it was a decision that they made. Exactly. Not exactly. Just getting oh told yeah, what to it do. should be a collaborative decision. Yes. They should not be told what what yeah. to do. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. a team. Like, you're not just their leader. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as and, someone I mean, who's, I'm almost a master's lister. This lifter. This next year, I'll be forty. And holy shit! Uh, you guys need to just shut up, okay? <laughs> I am your gym mom. Leave me alone. Okay. No, but for Grandma. reals, I've noticed um, as someone who is a super heavyweight lifter too, as I get better at my at my lifts, as my fitness level increases, my body is changing a lot. Yes. And so to be able to say, hey, I cannot feel bad about taking away and becoming more confident with less warm up for my certain issues. As those things get a little bit better, let's be real, in about six months, there's going to be another part of my body that maybe is going to be going, hey, wow, this is new. I'm actually working this a little bit more. Or mm-hmm. as that composition changes, especially with weight loss, if you're dealing with fat loss, and my sta- I'm notoriously known for the more weight I lose, the less and less and less knock need I am. I'm not very as much anymore as I used to be. But that whole the way I stand and the way that, you know, even my my back and my SI joint will adjust and whatnot all starts to change. So to know that I don't have to have a constant 30 minute warm up. I have room mm-hmm. to add other parts if they're needed later right. without winding up being the woman who spends an hour and a half in the gym on a foam roller and maybe is lucky if I get half hour to squat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, and I think this is easy. I think it's easier to make that, like to have that conversation with somebody who maybe isn't, you know, isn't 20 years old. Like mm-hmm. whenever, like we're, yeah. if you're 23, like you have, like, what do you have to do other than exactly. be in the gym? Exactly. Like it's, right. it's the big part of your day versus you talk to somebody who's 35 and, you know, wants to spend some time with their kids when they get home and yep. they're, they have a job they're going to, it's a little bit easier to have that conversation and say, Hey, let's go and, you know, maybe try and pull this down. So you have a little bit more time. You can get out of the gym a bit earlier this week. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. And that's one thing too, is like for some of my athletes who like, they don't have a choice. They have only the set amount of time. So it's like, okay, well, we got to do the things that's going to affect you the most. We mm-hmm. need the most bang for a buck here because you only have this much time allotted towards training. And right. and then maybe there's some people who, because of their circumstances, they can only afford to get six, six hours a night of sleep. So then it's like, okay, well, now we know we can't really necessarily push the volume and push your fatigue as far because you're not going to have the – the amount of time to recover that a normal uh, another person might have. So right. there's all these different factors that as a coach, but also just as an athlete, if you don't have a coach um, that you need to take into consideration when training, when warming up, when doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So before we let you go, because right. we've taken quite a bit of your time already, th- I've had a question in my brain this whole time. So I have a couple athletes that are full-time year-round baseball players. Mm. Okay. And they in one of them has a father that refuses to let their kid have an off season. How mm. how do you recommend we inter- so year-round baseball for people who don't know in the winter they'll play two games a week, right? And they never yeah. get a chance to actually sit down and relax. This this kid in particular, sometimes he pitches and sometimes he plays shortstop. Mm-hmm. How how do we make sure he stays healthy before he gets hurt? 
I guess. Like, how do we even approach that? Because the father refuses yeah. to let the kid have a, a, a an off season. Mm. So it's such a it's tough, so tough situation to navigate. It really is. And so we have to, like, physiologically, you have to think of everything from a systemic fatigue level yes. in that if he's playing year-round ball, that's the most important thing right. that obviously the training stress is not going to be, it's not within anyone's control right. there. So we have to kind of, first off, we have to control what we can control, which mm -hmm. is you're going to pull his his training that you are controlling down to a minimum effective dose. Right, yeah. once so or twice we, a week, like, yeah. Right, so if we, if we think about like maximum recoverable volume is where you're going to get the most results, week, weekly progress, all this. Mm -hmm. Minimum effective dose is, hey, we might make some monthly progress. Right. Maybe every six weeks we see some progress. Like I'm pulling you down to that level. Right, right, Because right. I at least don't want you getting worse. Yeah. And I don't want to stress you more so than what you're already doing. You know, the obviously we would love for him to get a break. Yes. Like you need a break. And if we're just different, actually, mm -hmm. yeah, something or something different, yeah, a different exactly. sport for, different. for three months, please. Right. Yeah, do, do so, sprinting or something. Come yeah. on, yeah. It's a lot of it comes from the parent just thinking, okay, well, better, more is better, more right. practice is better. You know, he'll get rusty if he doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, do it. So, I think you have to bring the parent into it a little bit if mm -hmm. if possible like into the decision process which is super tough to do but what i you know so we've had to navigate this a little bit to where if an athlete feels better like they literally like they feel better they don't ache whatever on a week that they it was a super light week and we track their training loads yep yep, yep. then um you know we can show that to the parents say look like look here, here's the data, here's the numbers, which anyone who wants to track that, if you look up the uh, the session RPE scale, mm. okay, it's uh, the Borg CR10 scale, you just ask the athlete at the end of the training session, how hard was that today? Yep. You ask them maybe like 10, 10 to 30 minutes after the session, just so like the last thing they did doesn't impact right. how they felt. Yep. They'll rate it, and then you multiply whatever number they you get there by the minutes that they played. Yes. Okay. So or the, okay. the duration of the session yeah. and that gives you a load. So that's really what they use in a lot of the injury prevention literature. That's the metric they use. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at that and you see like, okay, well his average weekly load is at 2000, you know, on a week that he's at 1250, he felt like really good. Yeah. And so you can show that kind of hard data to the parent and okay. that can help. And where you can really start to get the parent involved there is say, all right, because this is probably like this is probably a type A parent. Yes. Right? Yeah, this yeah. isn't some. And you so. know this man. Yes. Yeah, he spent thirty thousand dollars to send him to accelerate last year. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so, probably a type A parent. So you know, you get him on it in on it. Make him the one who's asking, "Hey, how'd yeah. that feel today?" Get him yeah. involved in the numbers like tracking, alone, tracking yeah. the minutes. Yes. Because he's gonna keep that data. He's so in, he he wants to be more invested. Exactly. He That's a wants great to way. Be involved. So have have him be the one to track that data and you take it off the kid mm -hmm. and you just say, all right, here's the data. And so then you, the two of you can then come together and you can maybe set up a meeting with the parent and say, hey, I'd love to like I want to see the data from this week. What's he doing? And from there, you now have an avenue to start talking to say, 
all right, so he feels better. He feels seems to feel better whenever he's here. And you can have him reco- you know, you can have him rate his recovery as well yeah. with uh, the perceived recovery status mm-hmm. scale, mm-hmm. Um, which isn't just another zero to ten scale. Right. You ask him at the beginning of the session, how do you feel today? Yep. So you can start to make some correlations there, and then you know you see you tell you can start to talk to the parent of you know I really think that he would be he could really benefit long term and coming into his next season if we could really put some strength and mass right. on him or we could really work on some power development. But as long, but I need, I need that load that's sitting currently at a 2000. I need about a thousand points to myself right. to be able to, to be able to work with because mm-hmm. he's already, you see where his recovery is already sitting around at two. Yeah. Once he's up to 2000, I can't throw can't more load on top yeah. of right. that. I can't work with that. So if you could give me a thousand points to play with, which is going to look that. like us pushing, that's going to look like us pushing, you know, 200 minutes. So whatever that comes out to about three hours, give me three hours a week mm-hmm. to push him at this intensity level. Right. And he just has to back off from, from he's going to back off from playing for that duration of time so that I can get my work in with him. And it's working within the ability that he currently has. Yeah. But so you kind of start with that training load number, figure out what his current ability is bring the parent into the whole decision process and say, currently I can only push him this hard because this is all he's got. I would love to be able to push this number up to imp- improve upon his physical abilities, but I'm not going to do that if it puts it him at risk for injury. Exactly. Yeah. Because your our first goal is do no harm. That yeah. approach right? is going to work with this man. What's and what's frustrating too, as, as a strength coach who has worked with high school athletes, it's like, as a strength coach, you always get the short end of the stick. Always. Because their sport takes precedent, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you're kind of just like, there's, I mean, there's times when someone walks in and, like, especially during the summer, they're like, oh, you know, this morning I had basketball and then I went to baseball for three hours and then I, you know, I had to volunteer at church and now I'm here. It's like, well, you should be home eating and sleeping. Right, so exactly. we're just gonna yeah. do some light recovery work because anything that I throw at you, you're not gonna you're not gonna see the benefits of it anyway. So yeah. and I right. wish I wish I could get a hold of all of the parents that I'll be training their kids this summer and say, Do you want your kid to get faster, to get stronger, mm-hmm. or to practice baseball? Right. What do you want? Do do they need to practice baseball because they you know they're they can't throw the ball very well. They can't hit the ball. You know, maybe they're not doing the plays appropriately. Or did their season suffer last year because they couldn't hit the ball ball f- far enough? They, they couldn't get to the enough. base yep. fast enough, or they couldn't react fast enough. What was their problem? I wish I could do that you with can. all of them. You yeah. can though. Yeah. I think here's where I think you can. You come up with a questionnaire. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. send are, it out to all the parents. These, so, so these parents, these parents are involved. These right. parents, they want the best for their kid. Yeah, they want right? their kid to be the best so, as possible. So, th- this is an entry. This is an entry question. A new season or end of season questionnaire yeah. Yeah. for every parent that you that you work with their kids. And what do you feel was the limiting that limited your kid's performance over this last year? Was it skill, or was it capacity to perform? Mm-hmm. Meaning, and you phrase it as like, was it because they couldn't throw hard enough? Was it because they couldn't hit the ball hard enough? Or was it because they just couldn't hit the ball? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. right? And that, that, and that should then open up an avenue for you to be able to have this conversation of, well, if they couldn't hit the ball hard enough, it's pro they probably need like, 
they have the hand-eye coordination for it. They're doing it. Just swinging more probably isn't going to make them hit the ball further. They probably need to, but I really think they benefit from putting on five, six pounds yeah. and getting a little bit stronger. Right. So I think that the best in the best interest of improving their performance, because that's really what you want, right? Yes. You want their performance to go up, and you've started. You've already put them into this kind of funnel towards the avenue you want it to go is by starting with the questions they've then just like we said what's the what do you feel you're getting the least bang for your buck from right right? well what do you feel is limiting the child's performance here yeah right and then you there it's kind of their decision they're the ones telling you what needs to actually happen and then you're just reading the message right and then that gives you ammo to come back at them if like four weeks down the road you're like hey you know, you said you wanted this, but you're, you know, you're pushing your kid into yeah. doing all this other thing. I can't do what you want me to do. If their kid's already signed yeah, up for they, a camp, you almost have to tell them now when they're at the camp, they should only go hard, you know, one of those three days because I need their, that 1000 points. Right. I like that. It might be advantageous too to send that as a parent questionnaire. But then when you have the kids in front of you, give them a very similar test yeah. because that will also oh, yeah. give you a litmus test of do we just have an hyper, a hyperactive parent here yeah. or do we really have a problem? Do we have a different issue with this athlete? Like, yeah, maybe they do need to get stronger and faster, but maybe their confidence level with the game itself isn't where it needs to be. And that might be able to help you kind of find that happy right. medium as yeah. well. Because yeah, we if, already do yeah. athlete questionnaires. It's mm-hmm. just parent questionnaires. Well, do you have, like that. And do you have a re- if you have a relationship with the coach... Yes. Get the, yeah. Have the coach fill one out yeah. because, you know, they probably trust the coach. Mm-hmm. Like they, they paid all that money to send yeah. him to that league. Yeah, right? the coach says so, they need to run faster. Well, and he's going to have a more unbiased opinion. Their yeah. limiting factor. Exactly. Well, because so he wants coach, to win. The coach you know? is right. saying it's this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if the coach is saying it's because of this, well, here's the avenue we need to take in right. order to, you know, improve upon this physical quality. And that's where we need to take it. So in the, interest of long-term development of your child, then here's where we need to go with it. And so you're not telling them because they don't want to hear your kid needs to rest. Right. Yeah. That just, that that doesn't work. They don't need to hear that. So what you're going to have to do is you have to work around that and get the child the rest that they need. And you're going to have to kind of play to their ego a bit to get them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I can, get in touch with a lot of the other summer camp coaches too. Yeah. And if I can sit down and again with a football player or something, and if, if the underlying factor is they need to be faster, bigger, whatever, then I can even work with that coach and say, Hey, you can't really push them that hard. Cause I need those points too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that. I like yeah. referencing it in points yeah. as well. Not energy level, okay. right. but points. It's more I, I like conceptualized. It. And, and, it is. and you just relate the points back to their work capacity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But the parents if, don't like, need to know the, that. Yeah. Yeah. The points are their work capacity. If you yeah. want them to be able to handle more, then you're going to have to gradually dose that up. Yeah. And so that's where something like the acute to chronic workload ratio can come in. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where you start to divide their workload this week by the what they've done over the last four and say, well, you're right. So I want to dose this chron- I want to dose this chronic load up by about 10% mm-hmm. per week. And, but you know, we can't, I can't get there if they're consistently sitting at a two out of 10 recovery level. So we're going to have to draw them back, build them up. And, you know, I think the coaches are going to get that a lot more than the parents because the coaches are invested, but they're not invested on that same personal level as like, this is my child. The coach is invested on the team. You know, the coach is invested in his athletes, the coach is invested in the team, but they're not invested in that same level as the parent. I love this guy. Yeah. 
Well, sweet. Let's bring this sucker in for a landing. I do want to say for all the listeners out there, uh, Jake has a phenomenal Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I literally, it's almost like a library. So you can go on his page and he has, like, it. the, the text is big enough where you can look at all the squares at the same time. You don't need to go one by one. And literally look at his page, find whatever issue you're having. He has a phenomenal short little video. It's concise. You get what you need out of it. And then the captions are always awesome. So look at his Instagram. It has helped me a lot. It's helped Brooke a lot. Um, so what is, what's your handle again? It's dr.jacob.harden. Awesome. Well, don't forget the at symbol. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> don't forget I don't think you have to type that in the search. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for meeting, for Skyping us on Mother's Day, Jake. Yeah. Uh, there, I have a list of questions and we answered two. So if we can ever have you back, we will gladly, oh, yeah. we will gladly have but, you back. Yeah. So when, I, you know, whenever, uh, whenever, they re, you know, reached out and everything and, um, this is something I wanted to do because like, I, I love talking this kind of stuff. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. it's really fun. It's fun to get into the strength sports sides of things to the strength conditioning side of things. Um, I said, I love being on podcasts and diving into the, actually the context behind a lot yes. of this stuff. You know, there's only so much we could put out on a, on Instagram and stuff, but right. this is where we can have some good conversations. So if you guys ever want to uh, do it again, just let me know. I'm Absolutely. always down to do it. And we, let us know. Yeah. If, right. if you ever have a wild hair up your butt and I want to talk three hours about block, <laughs> we, we will listen to right. it. We'll be your ears, We'll man. be your ears for Last sure. Last question Sounds is, good. are you, because I know you mentioned uh, USAPL Raw Nationals before, are you planning on going to USAPL Raw Nationals and do this you need year? a coach? And do you need a coach? <laughs> uh, I was going to say, we're bringing the podcast I've, there, so we'd love yeah. to see you in person. Yeah. And I owe you like two I, high fives and a hug for helping me with squat depth. And so. a hard taco. Oh, yeah. that's good. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't had any plans to. I don't even know when when is Raw Nationals and where it's, is it? It's this usually year? the second week in October, and then it's in uh, sh- Chicago area. I don't think it's actually Chicago, but I think it's a suburb of it's Chicago. It's like Lombard or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Lombard, oh, Lombard, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'll take my. It's cold there. Know. It's cold there in October. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I don't. I probably won't be there because I'm going. I'm going to teach over in Australia for a oh, week man. in uh, um, in October. Um, so I'm taking my course over there for a little bit, but um, I'm probably not going to want to jump on a plane. Right? Yeah, probably that. not. So, we just need but, to get your course oh, to come to Minnesota. Is what we need to do. For yeah. sure, we do. Got to get you booked up here. I. So that's. I have a tough time up in the Midwest area. Really? Like, really? I, it, yeah. So the main thing is like we just need to find a host. Yeah. To, we just need. We just need a facility. We just basically need a facility to host us. Um. And then we are more than happy to usually come up there because, like, I I don't mind teaching. I mean, I don't mind teaching ten people if I right. if that's who wants to show so up. So we're gonna have fly him in. We're gonna put him in concept. a hotel. I have some definite people that oh, would probably sure. be yep. interested. As so. do I. Absolutely. Oh, oh my gosh! We and me. we're having tacos if it happens. There. Yeah, and for we're sure. having tacos. <laughs> there we go. I'm getting, I'm Shut getting. your mouth. <laughs> Shut your mouth. He'll be like, I did not order tacos on the catering. I'll just be sitting in the corner smiling. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to plug before we get you off here, Jake? Um, So uh, anyone who listens to a course uh, wants to come out to a course, learn a little bit more about, you know, what I am talking about here and get more into the injury side of all this and kind of learn my approach to how I bring athletes back from injury. Uh, I teach a course called Prehab 101. We're going to be in Atlanta June 1st and 2nd. Then we're going over to Portland on the 7th and 8th. And then we'll finally be in New York City um, in July. 
So anybody who wants to come out and learn a little bit, then that's where we'll be. Awesome. That's crazy because I know for a fact that we have a couple big friends of the podcast that are in Atlanta and in New York City. So we'll try to send a couple your way for sure. Cool. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jacob. You have a wonderful Mother's Day. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, thanks. We're out. The Coaches Collaboration Podcast. What do you mean you haven't subscribed yet? What the hell are you waiting for? Come on, y'all. The Coaches Collaboration Podcast is brought to you by The Complete Athlete, providing world-class continuing education for fitness trainers, coaches, and gyms. Online at getcomplete.net.